tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Mile High Magic back with you. Hello, everyone. Alongside my partner, Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. Nikki, I will give you one guess and one guess only as to which episode this is of our podcast. I don't do well with numbers. You know that. I can't guess that. <laughs> I already your, whole life is, your whole life is breaking down numbers. <laughs> I know, and I'm terrible at it. My dad's a CPA, and I'm terrible at it. Um, I have no idea. Do tell, do tell. 48. 48? Oh my goodness. You've been putting up with me a long time is basically what that gets at. We're getting close to 50 here and uh, appreciate you guys joining us along for the ride as always. Uh, Of course, we've recapped the draft for you. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the virtual OTAs that are going on right now. The Broncos uh, all in their respective hometowns or respective places uh, taking part in in the quarantine, but they have been meeting virtually. And uh, Earlier this week, we had a chance to talk uh, to Drew Locke and, and to hear from Kareem Jackson uh, for the first time. The first time we've heard from Locke in a media setting since the draft happened and the first time we've heard from Kareem Jackson uh, in a media setting since the end of last year because he didn't even talk on Locker Cleanout Day. So a lot to get to from those conversations, but I think, Nikki, that we should start with Drew Locke. And it was clear to everybody, and you and I talked about it on our last episode that this was the draft for Drew Locke. And and he even admitted as much when he met with the media earlier this week. He was like, yeah, I know that I now have big expectations. And he thought it was really cool to kind of see the team build around him. And I liked what he had to say in that regard. Yeah, I think now is the time when he should ask for pretty much everything. Ask for a new contract. Ask for everything. Because he's getting everything he asked for. I mean, he said on local radio a couple days before, well, I think it was last week, actually, that, you know, he had talked to the coaching staff and talked to Shermer and was like, so what do you think? And he's like, well, if we could add some speed, that'd be great. Sure enough, they got a whole track <laughs> team that they drafted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is Drew Locke is living the life we all dream of right now, you know, 23 and gets whatever he wants. So, yeah, ask for a new contract, Drew. But, no, I, I think it I think it, it says a lot about, you know, what the, the Broncos – think of Drew. I mean, I went back and I looked at all the quarterbacks that had played at least one snap um, for the Broncos since John Elway took over in 2011. And there's nine of them, including Chad Kelly's one snap. Um, Don't forget the infamous kneel down right before the half. Exactly. It counts. Um, Yeah. So there's nine quarterbacks who have taken at least one offensive snap for the Broncos in John Elway's tenure. And he's built around only two of them, Peyton Manning, Andrew Locke. I mean, he's cycled through how many starters since Manning uh, retired, and Drew Locke is the one they really felt was the guy. Um, and they've invested heavily around him, so... You know, while it's great news for Drew, I mean, the pressure is through the roof. And and Drew was asked about that, right? And I want to play a little bit of what he said, and then we'll kind of respond to that. But Drew was asked what it was like to sit there and watch the team build around him, and then how he handles the new expectations, knowing that they have now built around him, knowing that he basically has everything he could ever ask for, and now he's got to go out and prove it. He was asked about that. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think the move just... Ended up saying they saw something positive in the way I played in those last games. 
um, potentially being a guy here that could stay for a long time and help the Broncos win as, win as many games as possible. Um, I, you know, it means a lot to me to see that happen. You know, it puts a little extra confidence in, you know, on my back. And, you know, at the same time, those expectations do rise when you have so many weapons around you. But, you know, I, I like to say that I hold myself to high expectations. And, uh, you know, I like to put pressure on myself in general. And I think the pressure that I put on myself always outweighs the pressure that comes from, you know, a media or, you know, even friends and family or whatever. I feel like the pressure I, I hang on my head um, always means the most in the end to me. So, so Nikki, to me, I mean, I think, look, we have a tendency to dive way too much into how guys respond to things in the media, but I really like what he said here because it was basically like, yeah, look, I know the expectations are really high, but that doesn't bother me. And that is the type of confidence, the type of moxie that you want out of your starting quarterback. He knows where this team has been. He knows where it's supposed to be and he's embracing that and not running away from it. And that's the biggest reason he's in the position he is in now. I mean, he only had five games and you think about, he only had seven weeks of practice too last season because he was on IR for 10 weeks. But what John Elway saw, at least what he said in subsequent interviews is, you know, he really liked the way he handled himself while he was on IR too and how he, you know, went about his business and made sure he was prepared for when he did come back. Um, and then how he handled himself under the spotlight, because there is a lot of pressure. I mean, even a second round quarterback in Denver, I mean, you're treated as kind of the savior, right? Especially for a team in this position where you've had multiple losing seasons and you're still trying to find that guy at the most important position. So as soon as he was drafted, I mean, the pressure was through the roof and he knew that Elway obviously knows that, um, and and you can see how some quarterbacks have handled it differently. And mm-hmm. and Drew, he he's right to that extent that Drew hasn't really changed at all. He does have kind of this charisma that guys want to follow. Guys want to be around him. They trust him. And I, those five starts went a long way. Um, you know, I I think especially the Kansas City game where they basically, I mean, they played horribly. But Drew himself handled I mean, he handled it quite well, given the circumstances, I thought. Um, yeah, he could have played a lot better. But for a rookie and, you know, given as few starts as he has, um, you know, I, I think it, it spoke volumes about where he is and kind of where he can go in his career. And I thought it was interesting what he said kind of later in the press conference. And it was asked about, uh, I think it was about uh, Albert Okuebunam mm-hmm. when he was talking about, I want to be around guy- good guys, right? Like I want to have good guys in the locker room and that helps our connection on the field. And he referenced when he was on IR and he was like, I still had to be a presence in the locker room so that when that opportunity came, I knew that those guys, the rest of the guys on the field could, could trust me and could know who I was as a person and as a player. So I think you're right. I think this goes a lot deeper than just the five games that we saw from Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. It's everything that he did. And that moxie even came across when he was asked about coming off of IR before he was off. And he was like basically saying, yes, I want to be off of IR. But at the same time, I know that I got to trust the guys upstairs and they're going to make the decision. And I'm a rookie. I don't want to say anything, you know, that yeah. would, that would get me in trouble yeah. with John Elway and those guys. But it was clear that he was ready to go and, and was giving, that kind of feel and that kind of vibe, like, hey, I'm ready, let's go. He was right. chomping at the bit to get going even before he got on the field. Right. And, and you know, in the, in the months since, he has said that that time on IR really did help him. I mean, 
you know, you, you start to think at first that these guys are just feeding you a line, like, come on, you look really like sitting there. But I think it really did help when you think about rookies, especially at that position, you're kind of swimming, you know, it's especially coming from a spread offense. It's basically a brand new game. Everybody's bigger, faster, stronger. Um, and he's learning brand new footwork and this kind of gave him a time to slow down and, um, really digest all that he had been taught. And, you know, I really started to believe it when his dad said it too. Um, before the Kansas city game in Kansas city, I spoke at length with his parents and they said, you know, that time really did help him. And, you know, I remember when he was drafted and, uh, just talking to his, his dad and talking to Drew himself, that the thought of sitting after being the man for four years at Missouri mm-hmm. just was kind of hard to fathom. Um, but, you know, they both admitted that that time was helpful for them. Well, and I think, too, and you asked him about this when we had a chance to talk to him earlier this week, how the process of going through the virtual reality that he went through mm-hmm. is actually kind of beneficial now. I mean, it's different, but they're still doing, quote unquote, virtual workouts and having to learn differently. And mm-hmm. I think that process can be beneficial to him as these virtual OTAs continue. Right. And the reason, I mean, the reason I asked it was because I'm working on a story about it. I wasn't going to give it away. So shameless plug there. But, I mean, you think about guys like him, guys like Daniel Jones, other young quarterbacks who have a new system or a lot of new teammates. Um, You know, this is a a difficult time. He kind of downplayed it, um, saying it's a lot easier than year one, um, just having gone through the experiences he did last year. But, you know, this is brand new there's a lot of adjustment for everybody involved and if you know they can't have any personal interaction you know could teams make this virtual reality equipment available to their quarterbacks i mean right now it's locked up in their facility but you know could they find a place where you know drew can use it and only drew can use it and it can help them um you know kind of get acclimated with the new calls the new terminology new plays that type of thing. So, yeah, look out for that story. It's coming soon. And and right, right, coming soon to theathletic.com. Um, and that's the other thing too is I think that's that's really important and part of the reason why I try to temper expectations in our in our last mm-hmm. podcast is not only is the virtual meeting portion of this different. There's a new offensive coordinator. There's a new quarterbacks right. coach. There's new playmakers and and young guys who you don't quite know how they're going to react to being in the NFL. And then, oh, by the way, they haven't even had a chance to meet with each other one-on-one and actually get to know each other right. other than, you know, via FaceTime and via Zoom. So I, I charted out their projected starting roster for offense and defense and the offense this is if they started tomorrow just based on who they added this year um the starting offense would average only 24 years of age and a little over two years in the nfl um you know most of that is skewed by garrett bowles 48 starts But I mean, there, there are, I have one, two, three rookies on the team. Then you got Melvin Gordon and Graham Glasgow who have not played a snap with the Broncos. Juwan James, who's played all of 63 snaps with the Broncos. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, I mean, KJ Hamler is 20 years old, 20 years old. Noah Fant is Dude can't even, dude can't even buy a beer. I know he can't even celebrate. Think about that. It's crazy. That's nuts. Noah Fant is in year two and is only 22 years old. 
That's crazy. That's insane. Crazy. But this, I mean, they have a super young offense, new terminology. I mean, new guys all around him. I mean, yeah, this is a huge transition. The expectations are are higher than ever. So, you know, this virtual period isn't really doing him any favors, but, you know, every team is in the same boat. So you got to make do. The other thing that stood out from our conversation with Drew was how Lee Summit, Missouri, has basically changed their laws to right, accommodate right? Drew. So, <laughs> must be nice. Um, he did basically. He gave the city a shout out. Like, so he's been he's been at home in Kansas City, staying with his parents, and he has a trainer and a quarterbacks coach, both of whom he's worked with since he was a freshman in high school. And his trainer has a private gym, so he can go to the gym by himself and not have anybody around him. And then the quarterback's coach, who is also the head coach at a nearby high school, they can use the high school field to just throw. So must be nice. Because when you're Drew Locke and you're from Lee Summit, Missouri, you get to do whatever That's you what want in Lee Summit, Missouri. Can, when, whenever he asks, he can get whatever he wants. <laughs> he ought to ask for everything right now. Dad's gonna Dad's gonna cater some meals for the trainer. You know, I mean, we can make this work. No, I think one Drew was very um, cognizant of talking about how they are practicing social distancing and how they are staying away from one another. And he certainly said all the right things. But also, he was basically like, "Look, I still got to get my work in." You know, Um, and and kudos to him for that because I think there are some guys in the past, even at that spot, who would have said, "Oh, I can't, I can't do any work." Okay, I'll just play video games all day, you know? Not to name um, names. No, I'm not naming any names. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, so I think that, that that's a, a really good sign of maturity um, moving forward. That, hey, yeah, look, yeah. we're in this quarantine. Yes, they've given me everything to work with. I could sit back here, kick my feet up, whatever. Right. No, I'm going to make some calls, see if Lee Summit can change some rules for me. And uh, and we're going to get to working out so that I'm ready whenever yeah. year two in the yeah. NFL starts for Drew Locke. But his, his his quarterback's coach, actually, his name is Justin Hoover, and he, he made a really good point when I was talking to him, you know, a couple months ago. And this was this was before all the stay-at-home orders went into effect. I was just kind of um, trying to get a feel of, you know, how he was handling his offseason, if anything was different until that point. This was, what, early March? Um and he said, you know, this is this is a really good test for every player in the NFL. This is going to kind of weed out the guys that are really committed, the ones that are going to show up in shape, the ones that are going to show up knowing the playbook, you know, as much as you possibly can without having the the personal interaction. But this is this is a big test. I mean, it's it's similar to the 2011 lockout, although players then they could still use any training facility outside of, you know, a team's campuses. Um, whereas here, you know, most of the gyms have been shut down. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see which guys return in relatively decent shape, which guys seem to know what they're doing and how the rookies handle it too, because it's, this has got to be a weird time for them. I'm sure. Kareem Jackson made the point when we talked to him, he was like, Hey, look, I've tried to tell the coaches, we should just do phase one and phase two at home moving forward, right? right? Whether there's a quarantine or not, which is funny because that's coming from a guy who's been in the league more than a decade. Um, he's a vet. Like, you're not, you're not worried about Kareem Jackson coming in out of shape. I think there are other guys on that roster who you who you would worry about and certainly on other rosters 
around the league. And so Kareem made the point like, hey, man, I'd rather stay in Houston and and work out and just have the meetings virtually for phase one and phase two. I, somehow I don't think the teams are going to go for that. Yeah, I'm not really seeing that. But, I mean, it is it is interesting to look at the differences between the offense and the defense for the Broncos right now. I mean, the offense is pretty much brand new, a bunch of young guys, a um, lot of potential, a lot of youth. The defense, I mean, they, they bolstered the defense mainly through the two trades for A.J. Bouye and Jarrell Casey and, you know, re-signing a couple of their guys on one-year deals. I mean, it's a it's a almost entirely veteran group outside of, you know, Ojemudier and, you know, McTelvin Ajim, I believe. Isn't that how you say it? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, the average age of the of the starting defense, if the season started tomorrow, is, you know, close to 28 years old. And these are guys that have, you know, they're averaging five and a half seasons in the NFL. So it's, it's a very different group. So I, you know, their virtual period is quite different, you know, where the, the, the offense, they're they're going through installs right now for a brand new mm-hmm. system. The defense, they either already know the system or they've been in, you know, a few others. So the transition isn't nearly as bad. You know, there's. Well, yeah, I mean, it's basically the difference between one or two new players and one or two new coaches, right? right? And so the right. scheme's completely different. Forget the youth. Right. The, the entire scheme's completely different. Whereas right. if you're the defense, you can have Club 58 in the middle of your meetings and have Von Miller playing DJ because all you got to do is teach one or two different guys what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. And they definitely did have a virtual Club 58, Heck which yeah. is entertaining <laughs> for us all. <laughs> so I hope uh, DJ Sosvon the Don shows up uh, more regularly in the Zoom meetings. That's great. We could use some DJ Sauce on the Don at like training camp. Right? Like like for real. On a vet day, can we get Vaughn to just DJ? Were you were you there for remember when they had the joint training camp practices in San Francisco? Yes. Yeah, this was Paxton Lynch's like final tryout. Right. And they had a DJ on the side. It was legit. Like he was great. And it's so Kyle Shanahan, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the yeah. Seahawks have one too, which is so yeah. Pete Carroll. Whereas right. McFangio's like, we're not gonna play music. They yeah, don't play we're music. T- we're turning games. off music. Okay, thanks. <laughs> we're, we're not thanks, even thanks. gonna turn on country, let alone have a DJ yeah. during practice. Vic don't care about us. Like I wanna no. dance. Like, come on. No, he doesn't. Hey, you know, we talked about maturity and these guys on defense and and the veteran factor. Uh, I thought Kareem Jackson was really, really good. Um, on his suspension, the final two yeah. games of the season, uh, he was he was forced to sit out, and I thought that he had a really really good perspective when asked about that. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this was our first time to hear from Kareem about that, and I want to play you what he said about that suspension and kind of what he took away um, from that. So here's what Kareem had to say when he was asked about that two game suspension at the end of last year. I was very disappointed. Um... Obviously, for me, being a competitor that I, competitor that I am, you know, and um, with that being a uh, self-inflicted issue, you know, um, and I just kind of felt like I, I let the guys down, you know. Uh, but for me, it was uh, great to go ahead and get that done. It's just to, you know, kind of get put it behind me and, and to move forward, you know. But, you know, it was obviously – it obviously sucked not being out there with the guys and being able to compete with them, you know, for the last two games. But, you know um, – I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a mistake. And like I said, uh, I'm just so glad to put it behind me and just move forward. You know, and, and Nikki, I, I mean, I thought that there weren't a lot of 
things for him to say in that regard, but I thought he said all the right things and, and took ownership for what he did. And I don't think anybody's condoning um, what he did, but I thought it was good to see him take ownership, say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm putting that in the past. I wanted to get that done with at the end of last year so that we could come into this year fresh, not have to worry about that. Obviously it was self-inflicted and now we move on. And that to me was, um, was a good sign. I think the right, the right thought process there for Kareem. And I think that will benefit them moving forward because you look at this season, obviously the expectations are, are high. And if you're starting this season without Kareem Jackson, it looks a lot different, especially in that depleted secondary, which we have talked about. Um, and so I think that that was the right move all the way around the board. Yeah, I I like that he came out and said, yeah, it was self-inflicted. I feel like I let the team down. Um, You know, he should. You know, I'm not praising him for stating the obvious, but I think a lot of other players would try to make up some sort of excuse or put the blame on somebody else. So he he knows what's up, you know, hopefully for his sake and everybody else's. It never happens again. Um, Because he, you know, football-wise, he too has a lot at stake this season. I mean, he's 32 years old. He's in the second year of a three-year deal and his salary is not guaranteed. I mean, before the start of next season, he'll be 33 with a non-guaranteed salary. I mean, just knowing John Elway's history, um, you know, once guys reach that age, when you're willing to trade away Akeem Tlaib, who's still playing quite well at his age, um, you know, it, it doesn't look great for for, you know, a 33-year-old safety, even if he is still playing quite well. So he's got a lot to prove, too, you know, if he wants to get another contract out of this. So, and I, he gets it. And I, I think he's been, you know, kind of underrated, a, you know, in terms of his contributions to the locker room. I think he's been great for that group. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's been having a, a his KJAC TV that was yes. pretty popular um, throughout the season has now become virtual. Um, at the request of, I'm taking credit for it. I don't care. I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> he now, he does he does the KJ TV via Zoom now, and it's fantastic. I encourage you to check it out. Um, but I, I just think his his personality, his experience, and the fact that he um, is willing and interested in helping the younger guys um, get up to speed is really important for that group. And you know, to John always credit, I think he. Him and his staff have really done a good job of finding the right personalities over the last three years in the draft and in free agency. I mean, you could definitely say that, you know, the injuries with guys like Juwan James and Bryce Callahan, you know, it happens. But I, I think yeah, there's that, no way to predict those, right? No, no. I mean, every, and everybody wants to say, oh, Juwan James has an injury history. Come on, you know. This is a violent sport. Is what it everybody is. in the NFL has right. an injury history? Right, right. So I, I just think he, he's kind of brought the like-minded guys together, and he's got a good staff, and you know, hopefully they can turn this thing around. One of the guys who's not in OTAs right now is Justin Simmons, and Kareem kind of touched on that. I thought it was funny what Kareem said because he was like, "Everybody on this Zoom call knows that Justin should get paid, right? You know, and it's it's true, right? And so I, as they as they go through this, I think part of the advantage here is kind of what we've talked about earlier is that Justin doesn't he, – he's 
technically not missing a lot, you know, yeah. like it's not yeah. like he has to learn a whole new thing. He's been here. He's played in this system. He knows what to expect. It's not like he's missing on field drills. You know, they aren't doing right. any on field drills. So um, that that to me, I don't know that him not being there is is really a big deal at this point. I now, if it lingers, a, yeah, then then maybe. But I yeah. don't I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal at all. It's Justin Simmons. He does everything right. And he knows the yeah. most about this defense um, than probably anybody on the roster because he was, I mean, Vic loves him and he was given so much on his plate. I mean, he was basically the quarterback of the secondary last year. So he knows the defense in and out and you know he's staying in shape. So, you know, once they begin on-field workouts, then you can start it. well, you know, maybe it would be good to have him out there. But again, it's Justin Simmons. And his agent is Todd France. He, I mean, he, that is the agent for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders. And, you know, when DT was franchise tagged, it went down to the wire too. So that's the history. So hopefully they can get it done well before the July 15th deadline. If it comes up against the very end of it, I would not be surprised. But yeah. I would actually expect that yeah, too, yeah, to be honest. It's just, the nature of these deals yeah that's the that's the way things go what's the uh what's the old saying there uh deals are made at the deadline or yeah. the deadlines where deals are made or deadlines whatever, you know i mean I think, deadlines spur action yeah. yeah 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 and so i think that's i think that's what's coming you know the other thing that was interesting uh kareem well the juxtaposition between what kareem said and what drew Locke said about uh playing during the the covid19 uh, pandemic that we're going through right now and kind of what that would look like. And, yeah. and Drew took the, uh, the young PR response and just said, I'm going to leave that to the doctors. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the Broncos PR staff were just sitting there back there, nodding their heads, yeah. like good call, Drew, good yeah. call. Um, Kareem on the other hand was, was, was a bit more Frank. Um, and, and I thought a bit more honest and, and I want to play what he had to say, because I think it's probably, how a lot of guys are feeling when you talk about going back and playing games, one without fans or two without a vaccine. Um, and, and Kareem touched on that when asked about it earlier this week. I, I just think for us, uh, it doesn't make sense to to play any games unless it's completely 100% safe for us to go out there. You know, um, if is, it, is there any threat of us being able to uh, contract COVID of, of any way and, and spread it, you know, obviously with to our families or anybody else that we were around, it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, um, I think I heard them saying something about us playing and no fans and all that, um, that'd be like practice. So in my opinion, that would suck. But, um, but I, I just, just talking with some of the guys, it, it just doesn't make sense to go play any games unless it's a hundred percent safe for us to go out there. So Nikki, I think the NFL is in a really, a really interesting spot here. I think all the leagues are, are in this yeah. spot, right? Because everybody wants to play. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Everybody wants to get back to that, that normal, mm-hmm. but at the same time, everybody wants to do it safe and, and you can't rush this back because if you do, and then it sparks up again, then, then what do you do? You know? Right. And so, and it only I, takes I one, think, it takes one yes. fan, one player and it's, you know, yeah. it spreads like wildfire. I think the NFL is in the enviable position of having the opportunity to wait and see how the other leagues react. And yes, they're going to bump up against training camp. Whatever, you can you can adjust to that. Your schedule doesn't actually start until September 10th. 
who knows where we're going to be on September 10th and and what this thing is, is going to look like. And it it could affect preseason. It could affect training camp. You got to worry about all that. Yes. You have to figure out some time for these guys to get on the field before you jump into the regular season. But I think the NFL, when you, when you look at it is kind of in an enviable position of allowing this thing to play out, allowing Mm -hmm. itself to look at what the other leagues do in terms of the NBA and the NHL who still have to finish their seasons. And then major league baseball, who still has to start its season as well. And I'm going to be really interested interested to see what happens and, and how it all plays out and then how guys feel do they really feel safe coming back or do they feel pressured to come back right and would they admit it if so because of you right. know the money on the line I thought it was interesting today that Roderick Adele um, sent a memo to all the teams to confirm that you know if there's any canceled games or, or games played without fans that fans would be fully refunded um, or given credits for their tickets so they're definitely preparing for that possibility and it's hard to imagine a world where it's not a possibility you know you mm-hmm. seeing 76,000 fans in mile high right now just seems nuts um but there's you know the the NFL is interesting because you know in basketball they can they can open some facilities you know guys are wearing um latex gloves they can you know it's, it's a smaller roster size it's a little bit more feasible. You can, you know, maybe have a lot of the teams play at one site, like they've talked about um, the Disney wild, wide world of sports. Baseball, I know they've thrown out the kind of the crazy idea in my mind of, you know, moving everybody to Phoenix and mm-hmm. using all the spring training um, facilities there. But the NFL, I mean, one team, you're talking, you know, 80 guys when you include practice squad, injured guys. And then you got all the auxiliary staff, like the training staff, medical staff. What happens when a player gets hurt? What about, you know, the the few media members who are going to be um, broadcasting it, the coaching staff, the executives, you know, everybody working the same. And there's so many other pieces that go to um, putting on, you know, a full production of a game, even without fans, that it just seems unfeasible, Um so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think players should be concerned. I would be concerned, especially, you know, ones who have, you know, children and extended families. Mm-hmm. So you think about all the people they're in contact with every day and it, it's, it's worrisome for sure. I mean, you know, we were ending, we were nearing the end of the shutdown and Von Miller is diagnosed with COVID-19, yeah. you know? So we're not in the clear by any means, even though there have been, you know, some, different guidelines lately from state and local officials that are opening up some businesses. It's, you know, it's still a long ways to go. And I think too, what will be really interesting. I was actually not a fan originally of the NFL going through with free agency and and going through with the draft. I changed my mind as, as time kind of went on. I thought it was actually a nice kind of respite from everything that has been going on and a, a nice sense of normalcy, if that's what you want to call a virtual draft. Um, and, and the, the schedule release comes out this week and you get to see the full schedule in its entirety. And then the question becomes, okay, what do, what do they do from here in terms of the normalcy and all the things that they have planned leading up to that? But I, I do like what they have done 
how they've handled it so far. And yeah. I know they took some backlash um, on the draft and on free agency. And, and I was one of those people saying that they shouldn't necessarily go through with it. And um, I, I changed my mind. I thought it actually it turned out pretty nicely yeah. um, and turned out to be something really, really cool. Um, now it seems like after the schedule release, they're going to have to make some real serious decisions about what right. to do and and when to officially open things right, up. Right, right. I'm with you 100%. I was, I was against the league moving forward with all of it. I mean, I thought the virtual draft was fantastic because it kind of, you know, personalized the event mm-hmm. more. Instead of, you know, seeing guys walk on stage like they're graduating, you get to see them with their families. And, you know, it's <laughs> kind of nice. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, the next few weeks are going to be really interesting because, you know, they've insisted on maintaining competitive balance. So they're not going to open one facility when – you know, the Redskins who practice in Virginia and Virginia has a stay at home order that currently runs through mid-June. Um, they don't want to do that. They don't want to give one team an advantage over the others. So, you know, do they make adjustments there? Do they let some facilities open? Do they move teams or, you know, do they just kind of wait it out? Um, there's a lot at stake for everybody involved. And, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar business and billions of dollars are being lost while they can't open. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time for the league for sure. And and it's going to have a ripple effect, right? Like we've talked about the ripple effect for the draft and, and the scouting and all of that. It's going to have a ripple effect on the salary cap. And, and the money that's coming in and the owners aren't going to just suck it up and take that loss all themselves. They're going to trickle that down to the players. And so I think that's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, not just in the coming months, but in the coming years. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think the one thing that is benefiting the players right now is the league has a salary floor. You know, teams are required to spend um, a minimum percentage of the cap. You know, it's probably the one perk of, <laughs> you know, having the cap, whereas, you know, MLB mm-hmm. there it's, they don't have that rule. You know, they can slash salaries and, you know, yeah, they get paid a lot more, but you yeah. Know, it's a little worse. Uh, so when the schedule when the schedule does come out, we know the Broncos aren't going to London. Right. What game are you most looking forward to? Probably the Tampa game now. Never thought I'd say that. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Patriots 2.0 matchup, right? With Gronk and Tom Brady there. Shaq Barrett. Don't forget about Shaq mm-hmm. Barrett. Um, I mean, they're, wouldn't it be great if Shaq just goes off? Oh my God. Like, I kind of think like, he will, to be honest. Like, I kind of think he will yeah, as well. Yeah. And like, I have, I have trouble. Like they, yeah, it would be great if he were still in the Broncos, but again, like they're not going to bench Vaughn Miller or Bradley Chubb for Shaq Barrett. And yeah. Shaq didn't play that way when he was here as a reserve. And the, the Bucks never expected it either. They gave him a $4 million deal, a one year, $4 million deal. Yeah. It was so. a prove deal. Yeah. So it's not like anybody really saw that coming. He's a very talented player, but come on. So that that's one, and definitely the Chargers, you know, with Melvin Gordon yeah. here, the switch in 25s, um, that should be intense. I kind of think that's going to be the opener in my mind. Um, I could see that. I could see that. You know what stinks is like the Chiefs, the Chiefs have nobody good in Kansas City. I mean, outside of the, of the Broncos, and you know, the the – the speculation is that the NFL is going to kind of backload the the schedule with divisional games so yeah. that if there are suspensions. Um, and so, like, you're looking at the Panthers going to the Chiefs to open the season. Woohoo! Like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah, you got to really... give me something more exciting than that, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll be the Broncos. 
um, in Kansas City for for a myriad of reasons. But um, the Chiefs' home schedule is not very good, so I think it'll be kind of a, a whimper to start the season if indeed that is that game. But I'm with you. I think the Chargers game is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I, their, I'm their schedule forward to... is br- the Broncos' schedule is brutal this year. I don't yes. think people realize this. I mean, they're they got Lamar. I Jackson. think the Saints game could be a really fun one too. Heck yeah! I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, they got yeah, you got Emmanuel Sanders and Drew Brees and his cast of receivers. These are that's a home game. The Bucks, Tom Brady and Gronk at home. Um, you know, Titans uh, on the road. They go to Pittsburgh supposedly. You got the Falcons in Atlanta now. Um, I mean, they're they're. They better get their secondary together because they're going to face like pretty much every top receiver yes. in the league and top tight end. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough schedule this year for sure. Yeah, yeah, should be a lot of good games though, and so uh, obviously we're looking forward to that. And uh, we will, of course, continue to bring you the latest right here on Mile High Magic as things progress throughout this virtual OTAs. We're going to have a chance to talk to some more players uh, here in the next couple of days and and coming weeks. And so we'll continue to bring you those and bring you their thoughts and our thoughts on their thoughts uh, right here on Mile High Magic. That is going to do it for this edition, episode number 48 in the books. For my partner, Nikki Javala, I'm Michael Spencer. Thanks so much for clicking on to Mile High Magic.